Welcome to IVF Tales, a podcast hoping to make the world of fertility treatment less lonely. We want to start conversations about different fertility journeys to empower your decisions and build a community that understands. Each week we will speak to someone whose journey to having a child has taken a little bit more than a few vodka cruises. We are your hosts, Tiffany and Amy. In today's episode, we are joined by Taylor and Chris. Uh, They were really good in our chat with Amy and I, just um, being really open and honest about their feelings and their relationship and the struggles that they encountered during their treatment. Um, Chris found out that he had zero sperm count and carried a cystic fibrosis gene, resulting in him needing to have surgical removal of his sperm. Taylor also talks to us about having severe OHSS uh, resulting in a in a hospital stay that was quite serious um, and then also visiting a naturopath and a psychic after going through a few cycles and not getting anywhere with those. Uh, they also changed specialists a few times so we walk through that and towards the end of the episode uh, we do dive a little bit more into the successful pregnancy that they did have resulting in their son and their experience of pregnancy, birth and parenting after after receiving fertility treatment. So we were going to put that towards a bonus episode, but um, the conversation with Taylor and Chris was just really good and really open and honest. And so we wanted to bring you that story in full. If that's something that you're not in the headspace for today, I would really recommend listening to the beginning of the episode um, where we go through all of the fertility treatment and relationship conversation um, and then just tune out towards the end. But I really hope that this story can bring something to you. And yeah, I think think we could all take something away from it. So thanks, everyone. Thank you for joining us today on IVF Tales, um, Taylor and Christopher. How are you today? Yeah, good. Good, thank you. Um, now, is it Christopher or Chris? Uh, Chris is fine. Chris is fine? Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. um, did you guys just want to get us started by telling us a little bit about yourselves and introducing yourself to the listeners? Yeah. Um, so, I'm Taylor. I am 26 and we live in North Queensland, um, married, obviously, my wonderful husband Christopher. Um, So we run our own small automotive electrical business in Townsville and we love all things fast cars, motorsports. That's how most of our, well, our pre-COVID weekends were spent. Um, Yeah, do you want to tell me about you? Um, Yeah, so I'm Christopher Quagliata. Um, I am 31. (laughs) <laughs> and yeah, I run the I'm the sole runner of the business and I'm always at my workshop day in day out. <laughs> so have you guys noticed a bit of a drop off in your business or anything like that with COVID or everything's still pretty good? Oh, we have. Like it has dropped a little bit, but we're still sort of scraping through. So yeah. our bills are still getting paid and that's all that we could hope for. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. yeah. Um, would you like to get us started um, with your fertility story and just sort of start at the beginning when you guys first started thinking about creating your family? 
Yeah. Um, so Christopher and I have been together for 10 years. Um, from the very beginning of our relationship, we always knew that we wanted to have kids, that we both come from um, like a very family-oriented small town. Um, I'm one of six kids, so I always wanted to have six of my own. And, and we discussed all of that um, very early on in our relationship. Um, we had a few like kids' names picked out and all of that. Um, so just before we were married, about six months before, we decided that we were ready to start trying for our family. Um, I don't know, it was just something was just telling me that we had to start at that time. Like, I don't know what it was, but I just remember having that feeling and, and waking up and thinking that nah, we need to start now. Um, and I was really lucky because Christopher jumped straight on board, um, so by our wedding, which was, so we started trying in the January of 2014 mm-hmm. and by our wedding in June, we still hadn't fallen pregnant. Um, and it was around that time that I did start to think, well, look, maybe something's wrong. Um, we tried tracking cycles, the temperatures. Um, I had the ovulation, the digital ovulation kits. Um, we tried every old wives tale we could think of and still had no success so after eight months of trying to conceive, we went to our GP, except expecting to be turned away um, until we reached that 12-month trying to conceive mark. Mm-hmm. But that's apparently, that's obviously apparently how long it can take for a normal healthy couple to fall. Um, however, our doctor was a little bit more proactive and he decided to send us for some further testing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think for us, like Christopher did the... Um, semen analysis test Um, they ran a few tests on me Um, so then when we were called back into his office and we were told that we couldn't have kids naturally um, I don't think I'll ever forget that day Um, so what we were told at that point is that Christopher's semen analysis test had come back at zero which showed that there was no sperm count Mm -hmm. Um, so we weren't too sure if that meant that he had nothing whatsoever um, so that we'd never have kids of our own or if it just meant that there was um, like an issue between where it was stored to getting out, um, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, So then from there we were referred to our first fertility specialist. Um, We had to do all of that preliminary testing again. He had to do more um, semen analysis test which again showed no count Um, and so after some of them results come back we found out that Christopher actually carried the gene for cystic fibrosis so in turn he was missing part of his vas deferens so basically was born with a natural vasectomy Um, and I don't know I did a lot of research like I um, I think that's what got me through our years of of IVF was I was constantly researching and just trying to find answers. Um, so in my research, I actually found out that there's quite a few males who carry that cystic fibrosis gene and also miss that particular part of their plumbing. Um, I don't know what the link is. Like, I don't know if that's, you know, actually a, a thing, but it's just what I found um, and what we started to realise. So then we sort of started to look into, okay, look, if he's missing that piece, can we 
um, find someone to put it back. Like, can we, you know, can he have some operation or something? Um, but then from what we were told, that runs more of a risk of him losing everything um, and not having any, like if he does have any viable um, sperm, then by undergoing an operation like that, we would risk losing all of that. Um, so then after we found all that out, um, we decided to do our first round of IVF. Um, so I was only 20 at the time. Um, I was fit, healthy. We were told from the get-go because of that and because of what the problem was, um, we were told that we were going to be an easy case, it would be fine, you're going to get pregnant. Um, so we, you know, just sort of ran with that and I had the idea in my head that, look, we were going to do one round of IVF, by the end of it we were going to be pregnant and happy days, um, but it wasn't what we expected at all. Um so I have a huge fear of needles. So doing IVF already was a massive thing for me. It was a big um, shock to the system. I remember crying for 30 minutes before that first inject injection. And um, I just begged Christopher not to do it. I didn't want him to do it. Um, I didn't want to do it. I just, I didn't know how I was going to get through doing just that one round. Um, but it, we ended up doing it and... Um, on egg collection day, Christopher had his first teaser. So with every single one of our rounds that we did, Christopher and I would both have to go into day surgery. So we'd both have to get kitted up and um, and go in. Like they'd have to time it perfectly so that Christopher would go in and then a certain amount of time after they'd, you know, wheel me in and, and whatever else. Um so that first one was a big thing because that would ultimately decide whether or not we were going to be able to have our own kids uh, because they still weren't 100% sure whether or not he had any viable sperm at all. Um, so from that, we ended up, he ended up getting two vials um, collected. I got 17 eggs collected and that was a crazy amount at that time. Like mm -hmm. we just, it just blew our mind because we were sort of, we were told to expect maybe around like that eight or 10. So then to have 17, like we just thought, oh, this is great. Like, look at us go. Um, but then after that egg collection, I remember being in so much pain and because it was my first one, I didn't, so I didn't know what to expect. So I thought, oh, you know, this is normal. It's fine. Um, and then three days after that, I actually had my cousin's wedding and I told them I knew that we were doing IVF and I'd sort of um, said to them, yep, look, we'll be there. Um, and so I was still in so much pain that day. I didn't feel well. Um, I had to get Christopher to drive me to all of my appointments to try and get ready. And I remember fainting in the middle of one of the shopping centres um picked myself up I think he got me a milkshake or something and then I went off and got my hair done and and at the ceremony I all of my family was there and I remember mum telling me she's like look you don't look well at all and I said look I'm fine like you know it's all normal it'll be okay um and I actually barely made it through that ceremony before I just couldn't do it anymore I couldn't bear it I was paper white I just I didn't even have the energy 
to stand up. Like I just remember feeling so ill um, and Christopher called our specialist and he just said to him straight away, he's like, look, you need to come to the hospital. Um, so we ended up going up to the hospital. I spended nearly a week there um, and I ended up having severe ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome. Mm -hmm. And from that, I ended up with fluid on my lungs. Um, I don't really remember too much of that week. Um, it's all a blur. I couldn't tell you who came to visit or who was there or what they said. Um, it was just, yeah, something that I never wanted to go through again. Um, but after that, so from the 17 eggs that we had collected, we had seven fertilised. And then on the day that we left the hospital, our specialist was still happy to go through um, with a transfer because we only had one embryo that was passable enough to transfer, but it wasn't suitable to be frozen. Um, so it was either we transfer it and hope for the best or we lose it altogether. Mm -hmm. um, so we ended up from being discharged at the hospital, drove around the corner and did our first transfer. And of course, um, it was a big fat negative. So a few months after that round, I because I remember after that round, I said to Christopher, I said, I'm never doing it again. I said, I can't do it. I said, I'm not cut out for this. I'm just, I never wanted to experience the pain of what I had just gone through ever again. Um, so I don't know how, but a few months after that first round, I was somehow convinced to try again. Um, for that round, we mixed up our, um, like our uh, drugs and stuff. So we decided to try the Puragon instead of Gonalef and, and a few other changes. And we ended up getting seven eggs, um, four which fertilised, one to transfer. And then from that round, we got our first ever frozen embryo but they were crap quality like there was no they were not good quality at all it was sort of just yep look this is what you've got so we'll just deal with what um what you have and again from there we had another negative result um so then they started to question um, my side of things so I underwent a laparoscopy um because I like from a young age, I've always showed all of the signs of endometriosis and my mum has four girls and my three older sisters are just completely different to me and and my um, like cycle every month. I, I remember there was times where I was in that much pain. It was like I was in and out of consciousness just from being um, so sick. I would spew everywhere. It was just a heavy cycle like um, and it was so different to what my sisters were. So it sort of made us question, but because I was so young, I was sort of always just brushed off um, mm -hmm. by our doctors and that sort of thing. Um, so I got the laparoscopy done. It showed nothing. Um, so then we decided to gear up for our first frozen embryo transfer. Um, so we did that in May of 2016. Um, but at our lining scan, we found out that my lining was too thin for transfer. So the whole thing was cancelled. Um, and that was really devastating. Like, it's like when you build yourself up to finally do it again and 
just to have it cancelled for something that you didn't even expect. Um, and, you know, at that point it was all still new to us, so we had no idea how much was actually involved in, um, you know, making a transfer work. Um, but being who I am and, and I was so determined and I knew that all we ever wanted was to be parents, so we geared up and um, their next cycle month we decided to try again. Um, and then, yeah, so that transfer went ahead and it was nothing. It was another negative. And, and at that point we were sort of, you know, it was just, okay, yeah, like that's what's happened. Let's move on to the next thing. Um, so then during that time I had so many people uh, who kept telling me, look, you need to go down south for treatment. Like I went to um, this specialist in Sydney and, you know, after years and years of, of negative results, we finally got our positive. And so I started to look at other clinics and, and what was feasible for us um, in terms of travel and, and how it would all work. Um, but we made the decision and we had a Skype consult with a new specialist from Sydney. So we did all that. We flew down with my mum because, again, Christopher and I both had to go into day surgery, so we needed someone else with us to discharge us and do all that. So my mum happily stood up and, and um, yeah, took on that role. And so we underwent our third full STEM cycle. And, again, by that specialist, we were told that we were an easy case. And he actually said, I guarantee you will be pregnant by the end of this. And um, that round we got 22 eggs, 11 were fertilised, but still ended up with one embryo left. Um, again, not great quality, so we had to transfer it. And just like we were used to, it was another negative um, mm -hmm. result. So by that point in 2017, I just said to Christopher, I said, look, I've had enough. I said, I can't do it. Like my body just, I felt like I was falling apart. Um, I'd put on so much weight and I'm a normally quite small person so to just be packing on all of this weight like I just couldn't deal um so we decided to take some time off regroup focus on ourselves um we both ended up losing a fair bit of weight so I ended up losing 10 kilos Christopher jumped on board to support me and he ended up losing nearly 30 kilos so we um dropped a fair bit of weight and then when we were ready to go back um, into it, we decided that we were going to try another local clinic. So up here we've got two, um, we've got the choice of two different clinics. So we contacted this other one and then that's where we met our third specialist. So he actually recommended um, for the first time ever, he said that Christopher should be doing a fresh teaser or what they call a PISA um, every round because he said that by doing that fresh um, sample every round it's going to be better than using the frozen because they sometimes lose a bit of quality mm -hmm. so we geared up did our fourth full stim cycle in March 2018 um, and there I got 28 eggs 11 fertilized but we were left with two frozens um, and on day five, 
yeah, on day six, we got another phone call to say that we had another one that had been frozen. So because of my history um, and a few other things, our specialist wasn't keen on doing the fresh transfers. Um, he said for our case, a frozen was going to be the best. Um, it gave my time, my body time to sort of come down from all of the hormones and um, just sort of level out a few things before we went and put that embryo back. Um, but yeah, so I ended up with that round, I actually ended up back in hospital, but this time it was only a mild case of ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome. Um, but that was somewhat my fault because before our transfer, I was actually told that I should be having a decapeptal trigger, which would reduce the risk um, of me getting um, OHSS. But because we'd never sort of, oh, we'd had that one frozen embryo, but it wasn't great quality. So because of our previous results, I was so scared to, um, to do a frozen transfer because I thought that we'd be left with nothing. And by having that trigger, there was absolutely, um, we were told that there was no way that we could do a fresh transfer. Um, but yeah, so I ended up having to, um, you know, have a frozen, we ended up having to freeze those embryos anyway. So I sort of could have saved myself the hospital trip, but I was probably a bit stubborn at that point. Um, so then in June 2018, we did another frozen embryo transfer. Um, so that would have been our first one with this clinic. And it was a negative result, which I'll admit was pretty upsetting because we had such hopeful results. Um, but after that transfer, I was determined to find answers. Um, so I would roll into our um, follow-up appointments and I remember having a full A4 page full of questions, things to try, tests that I wanted um, and this specialist, he was more than happy to accommodate um, my requests. He was also very open to um, a few alternative kind of um, medicines and things to try, things like um, the whole natural killer cells sort of thing like there's a lot of specialists out there who don't actually believe that that's a thing but he would always just say to me he's like look I can't guarantee anything but if it's going to give you peace of mind let's do it we'll try it whatever you want like he was really um open to whatever I'd sort of wanted mm -hmm. um so then around that time I had also contacted a local naturopath um again there was women who I knew who were telling me, um, well, there was one lady in particular, she said to me, she's like, look, I did 20 years of IVF. She went and saw this naturopath and then now she's got two kids. Um, and, you know, it could have just been a coincidence, but she sort of owed a lot of her success to this particular naturopath. So I thought at that point we were ready to throw whatever we could at it. So yeah. I said to Christopher, I was like, look, let's just do it. I think there was like $700 worth of supplements that he had up on. Um, and, you know, after years of IVF, that was a big chunk of money, but we could never put a price on 
what our end goal was. So we just threw whatever we could at it. Um, so I consulted with him and did all that. And then um, I sort of went through a stage where I started to feel a little bit lost. Um, like I felt like we were coming to the end of our road with nothing to show for it. And at this stage, we'd spent $70,000. Um, and financially, we were really close to being exhausted. Mm -hmm. We never eligible for bulk build we were never eligible for any um you know of the great options that are out there financially for couples and and that was really hard for us because we thought you know like we're such a complex case why isn't there any help for us but that was the reason why it's because we always like we could never go through a bulk build clinic or we needed that um custom personalized treatment for not only me but also for Christopher as well so mm -hmm. um, we just sort of had to deal with the fact that each and every round for us was around that 15 to 16 thousand dollars um which yeah as a newly married couple um that was a lot of money to sort of pour and not to mention we just sort of started a business our business um up here in Townsville and yeah, it was just a lot um, for us as a couple. But um, around this time, so I started to, I lost myself a bit and I think I was mentally struggling a bit and I didn't, I was probably the biggest sceptic, but I decided to go and see a psychic and I don't know what made me do it and it sounds ridiculous. Like some people are just going to be like, oh, whatever, like, you know, it's all a load of rubbish and this and that. But um, I was just more so just curious to see what this particular one would say. Um, I would always, like, I went into this um, appointment and I gave a little information. I responded with short yes or no answers. Like, I was, I was really sceptical of the whole process, but I decided I had nothing to lose. Um, so during our chat, she actually brought up our struggles with fertility um, she told me that I couldn't give up now. We were so close. Um, and she had sort of said, like, she could see these little people that were just waiting for us. Like, you know, and I remember her saying, she goes, they're just waiting. Like they're saying, mum, just get your shit together. And then, you know, it'll, it'll work out. Like, but you just need to, um, you need to just get your head straight and you need to keep fighting kind of thing. Um, so then she said to me, she goes, you've got an appointment with your specialist tomorrow, don't you? And I did. Like, we just booked this appointment, gosh, I think it was like a couple of days before. Um, wow. And she said to me, she goes, at this appointment, you need to demand a laparoscopy. And I said to her, I said, I've already had one. She goes, no. She goes, you have, there is something going on down there. She goes, I actually think you've got endometriosis. And um, she told me to, she goes, you need to look into your thyroid function. She goes, and I think you've got a big hormone imbalance. Um, and one thing that stuck with me, though, was that she she kept saying about this little boy. Um, and she said, there's just something about the month of February and this little boy. Um, and she just kept reiterating to me. She's like, just don't give up. She goes, just don't give up. Um 
So then the next day I went to my appointment with my specialist and just out of the blue, I asked him for another laparoscopy. And he said, look, we can do it if you want. He goes, but we can't guarantee it'll show up anything. Um, But again, he was happy to do it. And he said, look, your last one was a few years ago. So it's probably not a bad idea. Um, But again, yeah, can't guarantee anything. Mm -hmm. So we booked it in for the following month. And before that procedure, I actually met with my naturopath again. And um, he said to me, he goes, look, I really do think from what you've told me that you've got an imbalance with your hormones. And I hadn't mentioned anything about what this lady had said. Um, He goes, look, I I need you to start these particular supplements, which were all aimed at balancing out um, a few of my hormone levels, which he thought would be sort of working against us when we were trying to fall pregnant. Mm -hmm. Um, So then fast forward, went through the laparoscopy and on that day I remember being wheeled into recovery and I was told that the doctor found some endo so I had two extra incisions on my stomach um and when they come out and told me like I remember telling my mum because she was with me and she didn't believe it she thought I was still groggy and and that I'd misheard what they'd said Um, but then when they come out and he explained, he said it was all tucked up behind your uterus. And he goes, if you weren't looking for it, you wouldn't have like, you won't find it. He said, but the minute they found that first little bit, he goes, then it all sort of, you know, they found the rest and it all sort of presented itself. Um, and so I just, I remember thinking back to what this, this psychic had said, and I couldn't believe it. Like she'd just been right about two things already, so for me, it kind of gave me a little bit bit of hope, like, oh, okay, so she was right about those two things. Maybe what she's saying, you know, might be true. Like, But still, I was still a bit sceptical. And um, so after my laparoscopy, we prepped for another frozen embryo transfer. Mm-hmm. And this time we decided to do a double transfer. So we had two remaining Frosties um, and... For Christopher and I, we had decided that if this round didn't work, that would be it for us. Um, It was just taking too much of a toll on my body. I remember I was just tired. I ended up stopping work. Um, So I was working full time and and I ended up just stopping because I just couldn't function properly. Mm -hmm. Um, So then with that round, again, I'd read about something. Someone said about a... um, uh, poppy seed oil flush so it's a lipoidal flush and um so I asked our specialist about that and he goes yeah look again not really much evidence backing it but we'll try it that little tube it was like a 10 mil tube and I remember going to the chemist and um and they gave us this little tube and said yep okay that's 640 dollars oh my god for a 10 mil tube and like oh my god looked at this tiny little box and we were like oh my god like far out like someone's making some serious coin on on that bloody flush but um but yeah like it was just again like financially we were exhausted but at the same time we were still like look we just need to keep going like this is our last shot we need to give it all and um yeah so with 
that one as well, we decided to implement an immune protocol. Um, so we did the whole low-dose aspirin, the Clexane injections, and also the intralipid infusions. And um, that was a bit of a funny thing because we um, like a, we did our transfer and then walked across the road to the day surgery and they hooked me up for this infusion. And I was sitting there for a few hours and then one of the nurses come and she's like, oh my God, someone set this up wrong. It's actually set to go for like 42 hours and it was meant for four hours. So by the end, like they fixed it all and I ended up being there for eight hours getting like this infusion put in. Um, But yeah, so it's all these little things that have sort of happened along the way and I'm like, oh my God, like of course it happens to me kind of thing. Um, So then our... FET like date um, come around. So that was in December 2018, but it came at a pretty rough time. So that same time we ended up losing um, our fur baby. So one of our our puppies and um, we were pretty upset about that. Like she was a big part of our family and they were sort of like they had filled they could never fill that void, but they did. Like they, you know, mm-hmm. they were our girls. Um, and yeah, we just loved them. Like they were just a part of our family. And so on top of all that, the additional hormones and the stress and it was Christmas time and work was just chaotic. And I was just sure, like I was like, everything is working against us. There is absolutely no way that this um, transfer is going to work. However, for the first time ever, um, we did a home pregnancy test and we got those two pink lines. Um, and we just, I remember that feeling like I just looked at it and I just couldn't believe it. Like I just started crying and it was really emotional. Like to even just see those two pink lines, like we'd spent years testing and, and just, you know, seeing that stark white negative. So to have that show up like it was just for us it felt like a, a Christmas miracle um so and that was the whole plan was to go down to Sydney with the family and tell them all the good news yeah but, so yeah. Christopher's <clears throat> sister had moved so we had actually booked flights to um to go to Sydney after Christmas and yeah like we just had all these scenarios running through our head of oh look how can we announce this to them and and you know it's just going to be be the best thing for everyone because not only have we waited, like everyone else has been waiting with us kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were testing. Um, I was testing every two days and um, the lines were faint and being my first positive, like I didn't really know too much about what they should look like, or but they kept getting darker. So I held on to that bit of hope. Um, you know, they're getting darker. That's surely got to be a good sign. Um, so then our blood test day rolled around and we weren't sure how that result would go. Um, but I remember we got that phone call and, and they said to us, they're like, look, your results are in, you're pregnant, but the level is lower than we'd like to see. You need to repeat your bloods in two days time and then we'll reassess. Um, so then we repeated the bloods. And they showed that the level had doubled as it should. So at this point, it was like 
you know, it was doing what it was supposed to. So we just held, held on to that little bit of hope that, yeah, look, maybe this is going to work. Maybe it is going to stick. Um, I ran through every scenario in my head. Maybe it just implanted a little bit later or whatever I could to get me through that time. Um, so then for the first week, the levels doubled. But then on Christmas Eve, we received the news that our level had stopped um, and that we would miscarry um, that embryo. So, you know, being just before Christmas, our hearts were broken. Um, and after everything that we'd sort of been through and we thought that we were finally going to get our happy ending. Um, so then although we said that we weren't going to try again, getting that positive I said to Christopher I'm like we can't give up now like we are so close it was just it was that little nudge that we needed to keep going um so we sort of both decided like while we were in Sydney on a family holiday we um we had decided that we were gonna do the next round um we were gonna do one more round and that would be it um, so the minute that everything sort of opened after the Christmas closures, I called our specialist and, um, and I just said to him, I said, look, we want in on the next cycle. And he said, well, look, the rounds actually started. He goes, your levels have gone back, like your HCG levels have gone back to baseline. He's like, we can get you on, but he said, you've started a lot later. Like people had started the, um, because the, they put you on the pill to regulate your cycle so it fits in with them so mm -hmm. people had started that like four or five days ago um and he's like I can't guarantee that by the time we get to um that follicle scan that you're actually going to have any like anything he said so you need to be prepared that this might get cancelled um so we ended up like I don't know we were sort of on we were in a bit of a weird space, but we just went ahead anyway. We were like, we don't care. We just, we were too determined. We didn't want to give up at that point. So um, to our surprise on follicle, on the scan day, we actually had some good sized follicles. So we were actually like, he had given the go ahead that we could go off for egg pickup and, and do the rest of our, um, our cycle. So that round, I will never forget that egg pick up so from my history like I'd always had these massive big numbers of eggs that were collected and every round that we did it would get bigger and bigger and um and I remember just saying oh like I've beat my personal best like you know what will it be next next round and I think Christopher and I was sort of like oh look we'll probably get like 20 eggs maybe and we would have our little bets between each other mm -hmm. but when I come out and she said to me she goes you had 35 eggs collected. Wow. That is like, she goes, you are like a record holder here. And I was like, oh, my God. Like It just blew my mind. But then I started to think, well, higher eggs, like, you know, from our experience doesn't always mean that they're good quality. And, and so I sort of had all the negatives running through my head at that point. Um, but then when 23 of them, 35, fertilized um and that resulted in 10 frozen embryos and it wasn't just 10 frozen embryos like these embryos from what our 
um, our lab had told us, they said they were just incredible quality. Like they had even questioned whether or not they'd come from from us because from what they saw with our last um, last pickup compared to what these were, like they said they had no fragmentation, like they were just perfect, beautiful embryos. Um, so then like that sort of gave us a bit more hope and we thought, yeah, no, nah, for sure, like this is it, this next transfer, we've got this in the bag. Um, so then we did another double FET in April of 2019, um, got to the end of that. I was really hopeful and I thought this is it and it ended up being negative. So it, this was sort of our last ditch attempt. Um, and I said to my specialist, I said, look, what's one thing that we haven't tried? Like um, I said, my cycle has always been normal. Like it's always, I've never had an issue. Like I've always been regular. Um, so could we possibly try a cycle based on my own natural cycle and um and not that that cycle that's artificially triggered to fit into their set time Mm -hmm. um and he said to me he goes look this was going to be my next recommendation it's the only thing that we haven't tried um so before that transfer I underwent um an endo scratch it's sort of like a dnc I did the lipoidal flush again so another 640 dollars and um I just wanted to make the conditions as favourable as possible for our embryo. Um, so then we stripped everything right back for that transfer. So we just rolled with my natural cycle. And um, surprisingly, my natural cycle was only a day later than our clinic cycle. So there was always going to be that possibility that we would have to travel to Rockhampton, which is about 600 k's away, um, for our transfer because that's where our scientists and and our team is sort of based mm-hmm. um so then our nurse and scientists they flew up to Townsville to do their transfers and by chance like they had to do some auditing so they had actually already booked to stay an extra day later um so on that that day that they were auditing they we were lucky enough to have them just squeeze us in and do our transfer um and that transfer ended up being our positive result. So it sort of just felt like it was meant to be. Like I, I remember getting that phone call and she said to me, she, she said to us, she's like, congratulations, like you are very pregnant. Like we had a level, a HCG level of like 580 or just something, you know, crazy like that. And and um, it's just funny how it all worked out because so with IVF, obviously, you can exactly calculate the due date and all of that. And um, so from our transfer date, we calculated that our due date for this little one was the 14th of Feb. So it was Valentine's Day. And not only was it that February that that lady kept telling me, she's like, little boy, Feb, like that's, you know, and that stuck in my mind. But it's funny because Christopher was born on the 14th of November. I was born on the 14th of May. And we were married on the 14th of June, 2014. So 14's always been our number. So then to have our exact due date was, um, you know, the 14th of Feb. Like it was just, yeah, it was that little bit of 
serendipity. Like I just felt like this was just meant to be and, and it all was meant to work out the way that it did. But, yeah, that, that's our story. It's long-winded and, yeah, but it got us to where we are today. Wow, that's a that's a, a huge story. I can't believe you guys went through all of that. And I mean, it's such a great thing that you're able to sit here um, and tell your story and have that that result that that positive result. You know, have that little person yeah. after going through all of that. So, congratulations. Thank you. No worries. Um, Tiff, did you have any questions? <laughs> Yes, so I was just going to go back um, when you said about Christopher and the carrying the cystic fibrosis gene. Did you have to do any more additional testing? So we did. Um, So when they found out that he actually carried um, that gene, they had to test me as well because if um, they said to me if I had come back with that... um, that cystic fibrosis gene, because I think there's like four common types of of the gene so if I come back with one of those common types Mm -hmm. then we wouldn't actually have been allowed to um undergo IVF um but they did say to us like with him carrying it there was always that chance that I would carry a rare form of the gene so that you know there was always that chance that we may have a child with um cystic fibrosis but yeah from that my testing come back clear and then I think for Christopher it was once they found that he had that gene um he that sort of prompted them to um look like at his plumbing kind of thing to try and work out if he was missing that bit so I think that there is there must be some sort of link between having that gene and then missing like part of your vas um deferens and stuff like that but um how did you just jumping over to you Chris um how did you feel about all of this treatment and the diagnosis and finding out that you're carrying the cystic fibrosis gene and then you know the whole all of the challenges that just encompassed your entire fertility story um um it's pretty much it's a bit of a blow when you get told that Oh, well, the way I the way I sort of thought of it is, your manlyhood is just not there. Like, yeah, it was a bit of a blow to me. And straight up, I just said to Taylor, I said, "This is it's all because of me. Like, this is it's it's my fault that we can't have kids naturally." So it was a little bit. It was a bit hard for me to even process the fact that for oh, God knows how long it's been like that. Um, and never been told or well, you, you just not you just don't know this sort of thing until you get until you do the test for it um mm-hmm. yeah and just knowing that yeah i'll just keep saying like it's i'm not i just felt like i'm just i'm not a man like uh, yeah yeah it's, yeah, it's I, really weird but i actually remember he said to me when we first found out um he goes look i know how much you want kids um he said he goes look like I want you to find someone else who you can have kids with and I remember that broke my heart like I knew I wanted kids but I didn't want them with anyone but him but he just wore this big weight and and just one day yeah said to me he goes look I want you to find someone else um 
because I'm never going to be able to give you, you know, give you what you want. And for me, that was a big realisation that for what he was sort of feeling and, and the weight that he was wearing from from that diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what were some of the ways, Chris, that you were able to support Taylor through um, the fertility treatments? Um, well, the first, uh, the, the first biggest thing you can take him. <laughs> the first biggest thing is was I told her to stop work altogether because I could see that it was taking its toll on her. Mm-hmm. And I said, "Look, I think we're gonna be okay." I said, "I, I can. I'll just work." Because I not only did I am I running my own little business, like my auto electrical business. I'm in a band, so we're constantly out on weekends doing gigs, making a bit of coin that way. And I was just, any any sort of way I could possibly make a bit of money, I said, Dude, I'm just, I'm just going to do it. Yeah. Um, I said, you stay home, focus on yourself. And I said, I'm just, oh, let me worry about the financials. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, if I can't, and I said, oh, I'm going to be her number one support through the entire thing. And or we lived in, being in towns, all our families from the Burdekin, so there's, there's an hour's sort of drive between the two, so... Most and all my sister lives in Sydney. My brother does live up here, but he runs his own business as well. So we barely get a chance to have a chat about things. And being, being a male, I don't like, you know, I don't like to discuss. I don't talk too much about my feelings and what's going on and that mm-hmm. sort of thing with anybody. It's, I just hold it to myself, talk to Taylor about it. But I just said to her, Look, you just stay at home, don't work, focus on yourself, focus on all of this and let me worry about the rest And because there's not much more I can do. You're the one going through all this. And I said, I'll do all your injections. I'll be there through everything. Mm-hmm. Um, be the one going through all of that and this is just the least I can I can do and I just want to give it the best chance. Um, but I, yeah, it was how many? It was two and a half, two years of her not working by the time we actually felt pregnant. Um mm-hmm. And yeah, like it took its toll on me. Like I had all this stress of, you know, there's definitely times where there were definitely times where, you know, the bank account was a bit low and I didn't have much work coming in, so I'd stress about it. But I did my best to just not hide it from Taylor, but um, just say, yeah, everything's sweet, you know. And if she, you know, just a couple times it got to the point where I said, look, uh, yeah, just don't go to the shops this week sort of thing and she sort of got the hint i didn't want to go into too much more detail but mm-hmm. i said just don't go to the shops this week just necessities and she sort of went oh okay no worries sounds good yep uh, yeah yep so you sort of just took on you know all the practical things that many males seem to be quite good at you know just taking control of everything else and Taylor was able to focus on the fertility treatments, which, I mean, Tiff and I have said previously that trying to fall pregnant through IVF is like a full-time job, um, and particularly with your situation, with everything that you guys were trying, all the different avenues, you know, like, in, Taylor, you said you were researching a lot, so I can only imagine how much of your time it was consuming, you know? Yeah, yeah definitely. Even, um, it's funny, because, like, when we finally did fall, fall pregnant, like, people would say to us, they're like, oh, make sure, you know, get in all the sleep you can now and this and that. And I'm like, I have spent like nearly six years not sleeping because, you know, like I would lay in bed researching, reading medical case studies, like mm-hmm. um, trolling through groups, like just trying to find any answers or or that next thing to try. So 
Yeah, it was just really funny how people, it's just so different to, you know, if you just fall pregnant naturally and, yeah, it's just a whole different world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, um, you can certainly slip into sort of um, the black hole of the internet when it comes to fertility treatment and, oh, definitely. you know, <laughs> even even when you get the positive result that you want, um, you can sort of, you know be googling and comparing the line darkness and things like that on on google so um tiff did you have any questions uh i was gonna ask so how like you've talked a little bit about your relationship during ivf but what about your friendships and your family as well as your relationship together um so i reckon just starting with us as a couple um i reckon it impacted our intimacy more than anything like it definitely made us a stronger couple and more resilient but intimacy wasn't really there like we had both sort of resigned ourselves to the fact that you know like that's not going to get us anything what's the point like you know people do Mm -hmm. you know do that to have a baby and and we can't do that so why bother like um and in saying that too, I, the whole in, intimacy with the problems that I was having, like the problem that I have, it just, yeah, like I said earlier, it just affected my, well, manhood as such. I, I just lost that type of interest. I'm like, well, I, if this is how it's going to be and we're trying and it's not, there's no point, yeah, you just don't think of it anymore. You just, you just say, no. Nah. I just don't see the point in it because it's just. Mm. Um, but then in terms yep. of friendships, like I found I had some friends who pulled me closer than ever and then I had some that just went cold. Um, and I'll admit, like, I really struggled with pregnancy announcements, um, baby showers. Like, I just could not bring myself to go like and it wasn't that I was unhappy for them it was just that sadness for us um and then so I think too like so many people just didn't understand you know like they I don't know like they just sort of shut me out after that because they sort of saw it as well look you know she's um not happy for us so yeah like they sort of just shut me out but um and even like I found like with my sisters, like, so we have just on my side, we've got 11 nieces and nephews. Um, and all of my sisters, like, you know, just before we'd started trying, they had all had a baby within like a few weeks, a few months of each other. So they were all pregnant together and, and got to experience that. And then um, throughout our journey, like we have welcomed, you know, so many, I think it was like, four nephews and a niece and um so that was really hard like I just looked at them you know having baby number two three or even um my brother who's you know he's two years younger than me and and he ended up um you know finding his partner and and in a short time like they were able to have their first child so for me it was a real kick in the guts because I was like you know we've been together 10 years we're married like all we want is to just love and have a child and we can't do that so that it sort of put a bit of strain on my relationships with um 
you know, my family and, and my sisters. And yeah, so I think that was sort of the hardest thing. And another thing too is our, like we're the first people, um, the first couple in our families to go through IVF, like nobody else had. And, and my family, like the fertility, my sisters are just, they could look at their partners and fall pregnant kind of thing. Like they, um, they're very fertile. And my mum had six kids, like, you know, not a complication at all. And she wouldn't have stopped. Like, so I think that was a big thing because I always sort of just thought, well, look, you know, the girls can fall pregnant, so I'll be fine. Like it'll happen straight away for us. And yeah, so I think it was hard and, and it sort of made me feel like, I was sitting in in the grandstand just watching everyone, um, you know, and, and they all had their kids and even more so when my brother and his partner had their baby, like that meant that I was the only female in our family who um, who didn't have a baby. So, you know, they would always be talking about their, their kids and mum things and I could never relate. So conversation for me, I found most of the time I'd sort of just sit with, with the boys and talk cars or something like that because I just didn't want to be listening to, you know, conversations about mum life and that kind of thing. Yeah, that's really hard because it sort of is a glaring reminder of everything that you're um, trying to attain yet can't. Yeah. So yeah. those those social situations, I've always found them really hard as well, um, especially because people just don't seem to know what to say to you either. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's really difficult. Um, so it sounds like you guys were pretty open with your fertility treatment. Am I right in saying that? Or would you like to explain to us like sort of your decisions around either telling or not telling people? Yeah. Um, so we weren't as open initially. Um, we told our immediate family, but it wasn't something that I was comfortable sharing outside of that and now that I think back I don't know why um I was so uncomfortable with it I don't know why I felt like it was so taboo to talk about it and um and so it got to a point um I think it was around 2016 and we being a newly married couple like people would stop us in the street and oh you know when he's having a baby why haven't you had a baby are you pregnant yet or even like I would go through um, through a round of IVF and because of all the hormones and, and medications and that, I would puff right up. And so I would come out of the other side of that looking like I was pregnant. Um, so I we would have people like we would hear um, of people who have asked like my sisters or asked someone close to the family like, oh, she's, she must be pregnant. I saw her the other day. And and that was really upsetting to hear. Um, so I just hit a point where I was like, do you know what? I'm done with people asking us when we're going to have a baby. I'm done with, you know, people saying, oh, it must be your turn next. And so we just put it out there. Um, I just remember writing a big post and I put it on Facebook. And and the support we got was just phenomenal. Like it was just comment after comment. And it wasn't only that, it was like the more that I opened up about our struggles was the more people that started to confide in me about their fertility journeys or, um, you know, their struggles to have kids. And 
and so I realized like there's so many people out there that have gone through um you know IVF or have struggled to fall pregnant and so it sort of made me feel like I was more normal in a sense um and that I wasn't such a failure and yeah so it was nice for me to not only get the support um and you know for Christopher to get the support but it was also nice for us to be able to um to give support and and advice and comfort to other people who were going through it and I think from there that's where um our blog just waiting for one stemmed from it's because I wanted to show people the side of IVF that you don't normally see so you know the injections and the prepping and the blood tests and the you know everything that's involved um during a round or leading up to a transfer or you know all these things that you have to consider that most couples would never have to think about um but yeah I feel like when sort of people who go through fertility treatment I think I've said this before on another with another person we've interviewed I feel like people who go through fertility treatment should just sort of get a free pass so once you're pregnant you're pregnant and that's it and you don't have to worry about anything and you know you just it's an easy road from from that on from that point onwards um so just jumping over to you Chris and this is sort of backtracking a little bit but how did you feel um finding out that you were pregnant so we sort of just you know skipped over that a little bit um with with the process of like you know how, how were your emotions and, and sort of what were the things that you were thinking when you fell pregnant with um the little person that you've got now um now i think the first thing well it, we were we weren't really too excited at first. Like we were excited but because of the previous years of just negative results yeah we just we thought ah. Oh, let's not get too carried away in excitement right now. And that just carried on. Like every milestone would pass. It's like, oh, that's really good. The levels, you know, everything's really good. We even, even just, even up to the, the six week scan. Um, I think it was the night we had our six week scan, we were going out for dinner and, and um, Taylor said that she seen some spotting down there, some bleeding, and we thought, oh, we're not, we're just going straight to emergency. We just told your family. Yeah, we just, we just told the family. Actually, my sister was up here from Sydney, and we just told them, and we're going out for dinner. And then we seen that, and I said, no, we're going to emergency. And then, you know, and even just before then, we had no, we we were always like, no, let's, let's not get too carried away. And then when that happened, you know, all these negative thoughts were coming back to our head saying, this is why we can't get carried away too much. And we went there anyway. We, we got the scan and, yeah, it, he was there, heartbeat pumping away and everything was all, you know, it wasn't that bad at all. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's just I think up until even through pregnancy, it was still, mm-hmm. yeah, even through the pregnancy, it was still like we were really excited about the whole thing. But, some people, you know, you say, oh, shouldn't you be more excited? I'm like, well, just, just hold them back just that little bit, you know, because you just never know. Uh-huh. I love that, um, that night that we went into hospital and I love that he says, oh, it's not that bad. Um, so with that scan, it was because of the bleeding and the, you know, I had a lot of pain and they kept saying to us that it was going to be, it was possibly an ectopic 
pregnancy. Um, so then they wheeled us off for the scan and they said to Christopher, they're like, oh, look, you can stay back here. You know, what? you don't come with. And he's like, um, no, he goes, I'm coming with her. He goes, that's my baby too, he reckons. And um, so he's come in. I think there's a swear word in there. Too. <laughs> yeah, I can't believe they even tried that on, to be honest. Yeah. Um, so then he's come in, but then <clears> she's sort of like, you know, we saw the little blob with the flickering heartbeat and whatever else. And then he said to me, he goes, because he got quite emotional. Um, and then he said to me, he goes, Taylor, why aren't you, like, you know, why aren't you excited? Like, what's what's wrong? And I just said to him, I was like, I was numb. Like, it just, it did not feel like real life to see, to finally see, um, you know, that little baby yeah. on the screen. Like, it's just, it was such a weird <laughs> feeling. Like, Even all the next scan or all the other scans and we watched him grow it's like no this is just a tv show this isn't our baby (laughs) (laughs) oh that's so funny i think um definitely for us it wasn't until um our baby was born and that was over and that was sort of when i was like okay i can breathe now that was very much for me the point where i was like everything's good you know she looks good yeah and then sort of parenthood started so See, and it's funny that you say that because someone, I was just talking to someone the other day and they didn't actually understand when I said to them, I was like, you know, initially for that first, for us it was the first 14 weeks um, because, you know, we had that one sort of bleed at six weeks and then we had another at 11 weeks and it was bed rest and monitoring and, and all that stuff. So it was sort of we were on edge for that 14 weeks and and then I thought, nah, look, once we get to our next scan, I'll be okay. And then I got to the next scan and it's once we get to the 20-week scan, I'll mm-hmm. be okay. Got to that once we get to viability at 20. And it just continued. And, like, even I remember, like, the last few weeks of pregnancy, um, I had in my head, like, oh, no, nah, he stopped moving. Oh, my God, something's happened. Like, so I feel like it kind of ripped away the excitement that most people feel. Like, they have that positive result and they fall pregnant and they just don't have to think about anything else. Like unless they've had a loss previously or, um, you know, struggled a little bit, like they just get to enjoy everything from the get go. And um, yeah. So I feel like we were not only ripped off, like, you know, with trying to conceive a baby, but my pregnancy was spent stressing about whether or not we were going to meet our baby. So Mm -hmm. I feel like you enter into your pregnancy with such high levels of anxiety just due to um, everything that's happened previously that, you know, it just opens up a whole other can of worms. And I think, you know, you think once you're pregnant, that's it. It's all good. Um, yeah. You know, I'll be I'll be able to relax then. And it's just that's just not the case all the time. So yeah. um, Tiff, do you have any questions? I was just going to go back a little bit with Chris. Did you find that you were able to speak to your friends at all about the fertility process or your anxieties once um, you guys were pregnant at all? Was it something you could talk I didn't about? really talk to too many of Well, I did have a couple of, like, of our close friends that we were all friends together, like both Taylor and I were friends with, and every, those, those people knew about it, and they're the ones that really stuck by us throughout the whole thing. Um, <clears throat> a couple of, like lifelong only two i think lifelong friends that i've had were the only two people that sort of knew about it 
But then, yeah, I just we just kept it to ourselves. Like, you know, they would call up once every now and then to see how everything was going. And then one of them even said, look, mate, look, I'm just calling just for you to have a chat just with me about everything, see how you're going. And, and yeah, and that was pretty much it with me. And, I, I, like, I was pretty busy with everything else. I didn't really have the time to talk too much about it. Oh, there was a males group as well. There's an IVF males group on Facebook that I um I, I found and I started talking and commenting on a few people there. And I think one or two of those blokes we just just had a, just random chats about everything. And what it, it is good to have from a male male point of view, it is good to have that support network on like social media for that sort of thing too. <laughs> I think it's a little bit easier talking over social media because it's not um, face-to-face sometimes. Yeah, that like I find for myself that it's easier to sort of talk to people um, and just sort of post it and, you know, do things and open that can of worms when, yeah, you're not sort of in person. So yeah. Um, would you be able to maybe provide us the link? Is there a link or something that we could post in our show notes for that group or anything like that? Yeah, we can we can send it through. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, we we've sort of already touched on this a little bit, but um, what was some of the worst advice or comments that you've received, and what would you sort of offer to friends and family to support someone they know going through IVF? Like, what what advice would you offer? So, um, obviously, it's all the normal stuff. Just relax. Go out and get drunk. It'll happen. Um, you both need to stop stressing about it. That's why it isn't working. Um, the most, the one that I found really hard was people who would tell us, and these people had kids of their own, um, and they turn around and just say, "Look, maybe you should just adopt." Like, there's plenty of kids out there who need a loving home. And, oh my god! And said, I just ended up. I got to a point where I turned around and I said, "Yeah, we've looked into adoption, but I don't think you realise how hard it actually is in Australia." Mm-hmm. Um, and then. <laughs> these ones oh my god so christopher used to get so fed up when um people would say like you know oh my cousin's friends auntie she she fell pregnant straight away or you know um and something that i was actually asked a lot of the time was well look your sisters have all had babies why can't they just have a baby for you um and i ended up like again ended up getting to a point where I just turned around I was like because maybe I want to have my own baby like you know I wanted to exhaust all my options and um yeah before I went and just lumped like this process on my sisters or um but yeah um in terms of like people going through IVF and advice that we can offer is um Honestly, like if you know someone going through it, just be there to listen and support them. Um, most of the time people don't want to be told what they should be doing or what they need to try. And I think that's got more of a negative effect because when you're going through it and you're trying everything that you possibly can, to have someone tell you that, oh, well, you know, you should be doing this. Especially or, those people who have no idea yeah, what like, even is. Yeah, yeah. or have no through it themselves. <laughs> like. Um, it's just a bit of a kick in the guts. Um, so, and I firmly, I still stand by this. Like until you have been through it and you've gone through what um, an IVF couple 
does like you just don't understand like you can try to understand but you will never fully comprehend um how it makes you feel on a daily basis um but and something that sticks by me too is I remember my mum saying to me once she said look she said sometimes it's just hard to talk to you she said because we don't know what to say and and we don't want to upset you and they sort of they would try and tiptoe around me um, and that kind of hit home a bit for me and because I sort of realised like I would often put my wall up and um, when they started to talk about babies or their pregnancy or I would just shut down and um, and I think they sort of realised that. So then they stopped talking about it in front of me but then I felt really left out so yeah it got to that point and we just sort of had to say like you know I just had to say to them well look this is what I want from you like and this is what I need and then they were really great like and I have to hand it to me like I've been so lucky my sisters and um family have just been incredible like I had one sister who actually stepped up and she would do some of my injections for me so I think it's just finding that common ground with with your support people and um sort of telling them what you need or um you know what you want instead of them always trying to just guess and then most of the time it like not being the right thing if that makes sense Mm -hmm. yep tiff um i guess like for myself it would be interesting to know chris like what sort of support you needed and if there's anything like you could say on it as well. Oh, look, I um, <coughs> the, the support. I just found that I didn't feel like I needed too much of the support because I was trying my best to just uh, to be the support for for Taylor alone. Um, I'm just a sort of person who I just I won't really need to express my emotions too much. Like if I know if I'm upset, I'll just move on. I'll just say, look, I'm just going to keep myself busy. I'm going to keep, I'm just going to move on. I know what I need to do. So I'm going to keep going. And yeah, I talk about it a few times, but I felt that even if somebody wanted to try and like, if they were supporting me, I said, oh, look, I don't need the support. Taylor's one I need some support. So let's just focus on, on her. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Um, so if you guys could speak to yourself at the start of your fertility treatment, what would you say? Look, I'd, I'd probably just tell myself, to, one, not be so naive. And um, I just wish that I knew that IVF wasn't, uh, you know, like first time, um, first go, it's going to work. Um, so I think I sort of set myself up for a lot of um, heartbreak early on. Um, but I just want to tell myself to stay determined, um, and to sort of believe a lot of your own instincts, um, just to never give up. And, and one thing we've sort of realized, and it's so cliche to say, and, you know, um, I know going through it, we would never believe half of the stuff that people would say. But one thing that we realized is that it really is the last key that opens the door. Like, we were ready to give up. We were at the end. That was it. And then it's like something just gave us that glimmer of hope to just keep trying. And, you know, if we would have 
given up in December 2018, then, you know, I wouldn't be sitting here nursing our little boy. So, um, yeah, I think it's just to obviously to sort of keep going as much as you can, like, and as, as much as, um, you know, as your sort of constraints allow you. But, yeah, just stay determined and find a good specialist, like find one who gels with you. Um, we sort of, we were really lucky, like all of our specialists were really good. But this last one, like he is just, I actually feel sad now because we don't get to see him. Like that's the, the bond <laughs> that we have with him. Um, but yeah, I think that really helps. Um, just to refresh my memory, how many eggs have you got in the freezer still? So we have seven embryos. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Chris, is there anything you would say to yourself at the start of fertility treatment? Oh, gosh. (laughs) I don't know. Um, No, I'm not sure what I'd say to myself. (laughs) Your brain is probably fried. Yeah. It'd just be... Cause, yeah, the journey the journey is both, but the, the toll is on the female side. Well, it, in our case, it's both, but um, just to stay strong and be positive as much as I'm in, that Taylor always calls me negative Nancy or Debbie Down. <laughs> but I am negative quite a lot of the time, and I got I, I feel I've got a pretty good reason to be negative a few times, like you know, being in business and then and then having to deal with that and then with this behind it as well but just try to be positive through it and stop being so negative and things Mm -hmm. will fall into place if you allow it yeah i think that's a really good um you know piece of advice i suppose to to add in there for people is that sometimes you need to surrender to the process um and understand that I know this is going to sound so cliche, but just that the chips will fall where they may and that sometimes just surrendering, you sort of lose that need for control as well. So um, you're sort of able to relax a little bit more into the treatment rather than sort of, whereas I'm I'm the opposite. So if someone had have said that to me, I would have been like, you don't know what you're fucking talking about. (laughs) I need to control every aspect. But I think particularly in I know this is going to sound very um, gender stereotypy, but particularly for some men as well going through it, you know, if they sort of just remember that, you know, what what you've just said, I think that's that's really important. So, um, so you guys have popped here. So that's pretty much all of our questions, unless you guys have anything to add about well, anything else you want to add um, before we sort of move on. Um, yeah, so you've popped here that you're happy to talk about um, pregnancy and parenthood after IVF. And if you guys are still happy to have a quick chat about that, we would love to to have a talk because we're actually doing, I don't know if you've seen on our Instagram, but we're doing a bonus episode on pregnancy and postpartum after IVF yeah. treatment. Um, so if you guys, if little Hendrix is happy to sort of, um, you know, chill and, and – and feed and, and, you know, you guys are happy to keep chatting and we'd love to sort of hear your perspectives yeah, on that as well. Yeah, that's fine. He's asleep on my lap, so he's pretty content. <laughs> oh, cute. <laughs> so how old is he now? He would be like if he was born in February. So he is four months next week. 
So was he born on his due date? No, so he was born, um, I was induced at 38.5. So he was born a week before. Okay. Yeah. Week before. God damn it, that would have been so great. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Tiff, did you want to um, ask any questions? Yes, yeah, so we talked a little bit about um, like the anxieties and stuff around the bleeds, but overall, um, during your pregnancy, did you find that the treatment process had an impact? Like, did you feel extra anxiety? Did you? Um, I reckon it definitely did. Um, so I think like Christopher said, you know, um, having sort of all of that negative, like the negative results and, and everything that happened before we felt pregnant with him, um, it was like we were just waiting for something to happen. Um, so we could never fully enjoy the pregnancy. Um, and I think it's just, you know, like when you do finally get to that point um, and then, you know, yeah, like you just wait for someone to take it away. And I think that was something that stayed with me, like right up until I actually had him. So even in hospital, I um, I referred to myself as, so my nieces and nephews call me Arnie Tay-Tay. And I referred to myself as Arnie Tay-Tay. Like, he just did not feel like ours. Um, and I think it was just, like, years of, you know, wondering if it was ever going to happen or thinking that it wasn't going to happen for us. Um, so, yeah, there was so much built-up anxiety and stress. And, um, yeah, I think that definitely did have an effect on on the whole pregnancy. Yeah. Um. So once you sort of hit, I remember you saying like once you hit the 20 week, you know, you sort of were always looking to the next, um, you know, uh, milestone, I suppose. Um, and you mentioned the 20 week scan and things like that. After you had the 20 week scan, did you notice a reduction in your anxieties at all or your concerns while being pregnant? Um, I reckon it, it might've slightly reduced, but I still... <clears throat> Yeah, I still had um, a lot of pent-up anxiety. Um, I reckon once I hit that 24-week viability, like knowing in my head, yeah. like if he was born at this time, like, yeah, he'd have to put up a good fight, but there was that slightest chance that he, you know, would make it through. So I think that gave me like the tiniest bit of peace of mind. But, yeah, it still wasn't until I held him in my arms that I – realized like you know that that it was going to be okay yeah tiff um i was gonna say or ask um what model of care did you end up going through for your pregnancy and do you think that your fertility treatment had any impact on what you chose yeah definitely did so um we were actually really lucky our um fertility specialist is an obstetrician so we had decided from the beginning um, if we were to ever fall pregnant under his care, we would continue privately with him. Um, and so I think that was a really big thing because he knew our history. He knew how we ran. He knew that I was always, um, you know, had that high anxiety and that sort of thing. So he, I don't know, I think, 
calm the waters every yeah, time. Yeah, like he, he had such a calming <clears throat> presence. And um, and he actually said to us during our last round of um, IVF, he's like, look, he goes, far out when you get pregnant, he goes, I'm going to need a stiff drink. Like he was just at that point too. And, um, and then, you know, on the day that Hendrix was born, um, I remember my mum saying to me because she was in the room with us and our obstetricians walked in and it's like the room just instantly calmed like he just had this yeah like this calming presence and and I said to Christopher I'm like I feel like we need to try and have more babies just so we can see him again like that's yeah that's where we're at like he is just we owe him so much like and people say to me like you paid him to do um, you know, it's just his job and this and that, but he treated it as so much more than his job and he treated us as so much more than just another number or just another couple. And, yeah, I think that really made a difference um, for us and, and the care that was provided. Um, you, you feel free to not answer this question at all um, if you don't feel comfortable, but was there a particular reason that you were induced at 38 and five weeks? Um, yeah, so with uh, he said that there was a lot of um, research around like IVF pregnancies and not going to that full-term mark just with the, um, you know, the placenta and that sort of thing. And he gave us the option. So he said, look, he goes, the latest I will let you go is um, 39, 39.3 or something like that. Like it was, and he gave us two dates. I think it was the 6th of Feb and the 10th yeah. of Feb. But I found too, like towards the end of my pregnancy, um, Hendrix really chilled out, like, and his movements really started to reduce um so mm -hmm. I sort of hit like my stress and anxiety sort of hit a new level and um I kept thinking that no nah, oh my god something's wrong something's happened like so I think for me like knowing that he could safely come out at that time we were happy to go with that that earlier date and and we have no like even with our whole induction um, process, like there's such a negative light on on inductions, but far out, we had the most positive birth experience. Like I just, after years of struggle, I feel like, you know, we were meant to have, something was meant to be easy yeah, for us that's... and that was it. <laughs> yeah. Did you want to walk us through that process? Um, yeah. So we were induced on the Wednesday night uh, or the Wednesday afternoon and um, by 11 o'clock, yeah, yeah, by 11 o'clock that night, um, so I was induced with the tape and the tape actually fell out. And it's so funny because the midwives and um, our doctor couldn't believe that, that he had said that I was the first one that that's ever happened to, um, which we sort of had a laugh and said, well, of course it is. This is us we're talking about. Um, and then so four o'clock, that morning, the next morning, um, I woke up with contractions and um, ended up going in at seven o'clock. Um, they wheeled me down to birth sleep and got my had my waters broken, um, the drip hooked up. But as soon as they broke my waters, it's like all of my labour went straight to my back, and oh, like I could deal with the front 
contractions but the minute it went to my back I was just I could not deal at all and it was horrible and then um I started sort of like shuddering through every contraction and then I started vomiting and we all sort of knew like I there was no way that I was going to make it to the end um and they kept telling us they're like oh my god it's going to be such a long day like this is your first one um it'll be a really long process uh so I made the decision and I ended up getting the epidural um and then I did that and but it was all one-sided so I could still feel everything one side was completely numb like one of my legs was completely Mm -hmm. numb the other side I could feel every bit of it um and so as they started to ramp up the drip and the the tractions got um, more frequent and more intense then I started to get to that point um of, of vomiting again and yeah it just wasn't um ideal so they tweaked my epidural and I ended up having a bit of a a nap um at like 12 o'clock and then by one o'clock or 1 30 um our obstetrician come back in to check me and he's like oh my god he goes he's ready to fall out and um (laughs) and then yeah so they turned my epidural right down um because he wanted me to be able to feel a lot of it so then we had to wait for that um to wear like wear off until I could get some feeling back um and then so it was by like 2 30 that afternoon um he said yep look you can start pushing and we did and 19 minutes later we had our baby <laughs> yeah wow so. <laughs> yeah that's always so exciting how did you feel Chris throughout all of that um it was pretty calming experience actually like I it was not what I expected it to be at all because I think because everything was like, okay, now we're going to just wheel you over to the birthing suite and then she'd lie down and then they'd bring breakfast over and um, uh, they had the breakfast on the tray and then Taylor was in her little element and she goes, oh, all right, now I'm just going to focus. And I said, okay, well, do you want something to eat? She goes, no, no, you eat, that's fine. And then I'm like, okay, look, I'm just going to eat something because they tell you, you know, eat something, otherwise you just you get carried away and you don't have any food in your, in your gut. And I took like one bite of a pastry or something. As I got a contraction. As she got a contraction. She goes, just, can you just, just stop, just stop, just shut up. I'm like, I'm just trying to have something to eat. <laughs> and then I, I was just, it was just one little bite. So I'm stuck with this thing half in my mouth. I'm like trying to slowly chew it. I'm like, it's making too much noise and she's having a contraction. Um <laughs> Yeah, but it was good, eh? and then like her mum was there with us, and and then the the midwife in there all the time, the whole time, just having chats, and, and then we sorted of Taylor out, and it was just a cruisy mm. day. It's not like in the movies where they just rush you straight to theatre and it's all go 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 go, and then all of a sudden there's a baby. It, it's nothing mm-hmm. like that. It, well, our experience wasn't like that. That's for sure. Yeah. It was quite. It was quite nice actually. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think there's so much anticipation um, with birth and there's so much build-up and then, you know, for some for some people they're, they're pushing and the part where the baby comes out is quite fast. So then it's kind of like all this build-up and then it's just all this oxytocin and adrenaline release. You know, it's just an insane time so to sort of be alive is when someone's – or, uh, you know, yes, yeah, someone's giving birth to a child. It's just – 
the most crazy experience, especially after everything you guys have gone yeah. through. That must have just been absolutely elating and for you guys. It was so funny though because um, when we got to that point and I was pushing and because I was trying so hard to concentrate, like um, our doctor sort of stepped me through how he wanted me to push and when he wanted me to breathe through and, and this and that. And um, I remember I was concentrating so hard and I closed my eyes and I had my eyes closed and, um, you know, all I could hear was like, okay, yeah, you know, it's at this point. Oh, my God, his head's out and this and that. And then our um, doctor said to me, he's like, what are you doing? He's like, open your eyes. This is your baby. <laughs> and then the minute that I've opened my eyes was like the minute that he, they, like, they've sort of pulled him out, put him on my chest, and, oh, my God, the tears. Like, I was just... I bawled and one of the photos I think I sent through um, shows that initial, like that was the, the moment that he was placed on my chest and, um, you know, mum was crying and I was crying and um, Hendrix was crying. Oh, it was just, it was the most magical moment. Like, and I look at that photo constantly and I just, I want to relive that moment all over again. Like it was just the most amazing moment of our life like I just no words can just explain that feeling Mm -hmm. it's pretty it's pretty incredible um Tiff do you have any questions uh I was just gonna something I've just thought of with like the IVF process obviously you did a lot of research and the black hole of the internet did you find that that carried over into pregnancy and like when you were gearing up for birth did you do a lot of research on birthing pregnancy all of those things Um, as well I did and I didn't I think initially um I did a lot of research into things and um more so just I think I just wanted like those stories of of hope like every time something sort of happened I just wanted to read a story that was going to tell me that it was going to be okay um but then I think I sort of for most of my pregnancy, like I had really bad morning sickness up until like 22 weeks. So um, I didn't really, I don't know, I was sort of not with it most of the time. But then I reached a point like for the end of my pregnancy, I was just really, I had that anxiety, but I was also real, really chilled. And um, I didn't want to go into labor with a preconceived idea in my head of how it was going to be. Um, so I just tried to not think about it and, and I knew my options and like we had read about, you know, the different options for pain relief and that sort of thing. Um, but I didn't have a set in place, like this is how it's going to be. Um, one thing I did get really obsessed with though, was, um, watching like birth videos and one born every minute. And I just wanted to see how it all sort of worked and, and, how it all happens and but I think now looking back on our birth experience it was just yeah completely different like it was nothing like anything that I'd watched and not how I had had it pegged in my head yeah yeah it's sort of hard being a first-time parent and going in and never having given birth before and just not knowing what the fuck is gonna happen and yeah, trying to not get your hopes pinned on any one thing at any given time is just insane. And then, yeah, 
I just, I mean, I just felt like I got off a roller coaster when I'd given birth and it was just like, I, I couldn't sleep. I was just so wired. Yeah. So um, it was just, yeah, like blow, blew me away. It's crazy. Um, so postpartum, um, and I know you're only four months in, um, but would, did you have any concerns, you know, sort of about the postpartum period after or like while you were pregnant or even, you know, just after you gave birth or even now? Um, I actually think, and you know, it's how quickly you forget like everything that you've been through, but I did not realize how hard things would be postpartum. Um, Mm -hmm. so like I know for me, um, so I had a second degree tear obviously because he was born so quickly. Um, and so I had, you know, the stitches and all of that to deal with. And then on top of that, breastfeeding oh my god nobody ever tells you how hard that is initially um mm-hmm. and then you know even just with Hendrix like our first few weeks were um you know obviously being first-time parents like it, there was a lot of learning and and trying to work out like who this little person was and and how does he sort of run and but we had like he had a blood test in his first week for a thyroid because I've got a thyroid um, problem he had an ultrasound because he's got like a sacral dimple um, on his back and they're like you know look this might be something more sinister and or it might not and so we had all that and then um, he had the tongue tie and so we had to go through all of that and and then even for me like I felt like I never got to recover like I was always just go mm-hmm. go go and it was something new that was happening every week and and um, appointments and checkups and this, that and everything. So I think maybe around like two and a half months, it's like my body finally hit a point where it just, you know, we found our groove and, and um, yeah, like I finally hit a point where it all sort of just hit me. And then I was like, holy shit. Like I just come down from just this big, um, you know, sort of like what you said, like being wired and, um, and then now I'm just, yeah, like I've started to actually, um, you know, started to recover more and I'm starting to sort of get myself back to, to me. Um, and yeah, so I think, I don't know, postpartum definitely wasn't what I expected. Like I expected just to have this beautiful brand new little baby and life to be perfect and, and, um, you know, all of our troubles to, to disappear, but. I think it's been a bit of a reality check. Um, but, you know, it's sort of, he's still the best thing in the world. Like, and even on the the hardest day, we still look down on him and think, oh my God, like, this is what we've worked so hard for. Do you feel like your anxiety levels, um, you know, since having Hendrix have, do you think, um, you know, they've still been there, like you've still been anxious, um, you know, about his well-being. Like you said, everything, like there was a, quite a bit going on after he was born and you had lots of appointments and stuff. Do you feel like that sort of, you know, after going through everything that you have, um, you know, your, your pregnancy and then your birth and then the postpartum, do you feel like your anxiety levels were high at that time and they've sort of relaxed a little bit now after the second, the, the second month point or... Um, Look, I wish I could say that they did. Um, And I remember, so someone who I met through 
the IVF community, she was like a big part of, um, we were a big part of each other's journeys. And um, she said to me, she's like, look, you know, you go through all the stress and anxiety through every round. And then when you finally do fall pregnant, you go through it all, like, you know, your whole pregnancy. She goes, but it doesn't stop. She said, like, the minute you have a baby, it's a whole different um, level of anxiety and fear and stress. And, and that's so true because I find myself now, like, um, initially there was the big fear of, and, and I think it's every first um, or every parent's fear um, is SIDS and that sort of thing. And, and so I had all that um, worry and, you know, oh my God, is, is he okay? Like, is he breathing? Even now, like Christopher and I will still um, get up and check that he's, he's breathing and he's okay. Like, um, and mm-hmm. it's different things like, so obviously we live in Townsville and we've got, um, you know, a bit of a crime rate up here and whatever else of people stealing cars. And I have this fear like that someone's going to steal the car while he's in there and they're going to take my baby away. Like, or we exercise up a big hill and it's like, I just have these split visions of the pram rolling down the hill. Like, um, so I found that really hard to actually like get out of my head, all of this negativity. And, I hit a point um, just last week and I sort of thought like I am taking away from being the parent that I want to be because I'm so caught up in all this negative, like these negative thoughts and this anxiety around, um, you know, around Hendrix. And um, I actually ended up realising that it's probably not something that I was going to get through on my own. Um, So I ended up having Mm -hmm. a chat with my GP and, and made a plan and, um, you know, we've sort of started to try and imp- implement some things to um, improve my mental well-being. Um, and I think that was sort of a big thing was just realising that um, it was okay to feel the way that I did, but, you know, I sort of needed to get someone to help me through it. Like I needed that help and that support Um but yeah, so anxiety, like it's just lived with me the whole time. Um, mm-hmm. And from what I'm told, I'm, you know, it's just going to be the degree that varies. Um, but I think it's going to be something that I'll I'll live with for as long as, you know, I'm alive and I'm his mum. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't think you're definitely not alone in that, um, you know, that level of anxiety. I'm sure Tiff can probably relate as well. Um but we've both sort of, I mean, I was diagnosed with postnatal depression. Um, so it was sort of, you know, a big thing for me, but I've always had a high level of anxiety and only realized that since I had a, had a child. Um, so it is really hard to sort of, because you, you keep thinking to yourself, this should be a happy time in my life and I should be enjoying these moments and things like that. And sometimes the anxiety just gets the better of you and and you can't, um, so I think that's a really big step that you've taken to realise that, yeah, you need some help and, and you've gone and gotten that. So that's really fantastic. Yeah, that's crazy to hear someone else say that because that is exactly what I said to Christopher. I'm like, you know, this should be such a happy time of my life, like, um, you know, and and for it to, to be feeling the way that I was, like it's just, yeah, it's crazy like because, you know, you think that when you finally get watched, what you've worked so hard for um that it was all just going to be 
you know, rainbows and butterflies and, and beautiful things. And, and, you know, the harsh reality is for a lot of people is that it isn't like it's just a whole new, um, a whole lot of new stresses and new anxiety. Yeah, there's a very big disjoint between expectation and reality, I think, when you sometimes hit parenthood. So, yeah. yeah. Tiff, have you got any questions? No, that covered everything. Yeah. Um, Just our last question that we've got, um, do you guys have any advice for others who are currently pregnant or, you know, entering parenthood um, after fertility treatment? Um, I think just, just to try and enjoy it as much as possible, like, Looking back now, I wish that I could enjoy my pregnancy a lot more than I did instead of always being so um, so worried about something going wrong. Um, but, yeah, I think just to enjoy it and, and just realise that, you know, anything, like it's all hard, like going through infertility is hard. Being pregnant for some people, it's hard. Like having a baby is hard and and it's okay to, um, you know, to not be okay sometimes and, and to need that extra support. And so just to make sure that you do ask for help and just don't try and, and deal with everything on your own. Um, but, yeah, like I said before, it's still, like, it is the greatest thing in the world. And, you know, even after six years of treatment, like, I would do it all again for this beautiful little boy that we've got now like yeah it's just the most amazing thing in the world Mm -hmm. yeah that's awesome well I think like you guys have covered absolutely everything that I could ask um awesome well thank you guys so much for joining us today no thank you for having us